This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak in your word and we pray that you would speak by your spirit through your word to us today as we hear it read and later as we hear it taught to us. And in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Good morning. Uh, I'm Matt Jones. A reading this morning from John chapter 17, verses 20, 26. Jesus said, I am not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these who that you have sent me, I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, reading from chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I, Paul, urge Euodia and I urge Sintishi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Writing for Vox earlier this year, the writer Sean Ealing quotes a tweet by the Christian writer Elizabeth Brunig. The tweet reads, as a society, we have absolutely no coherent story, none whatsoever, about how a person who's done wrong can atone, make amends, and retain some sort of continuity between their life before and after the mistake. Ealing, reflecting on this tweet, continues, I think she's right. We don't have a coherent story about how a person who's made a public misstep or who's been cancelled for whatever reason can find forgiveness. That's a problem and we don't talk about it enough. End quote. So often as humans, we are looking for expedient, convenient or less messy ways to explain our lives and our worlds. 
One way we can do this is use reductionistic stories about who people are, what they have done, so that we can file them away into our pre-existing categories. And yet, these kinds of stories are not expansive enough for the human condition. They don't give us enough grace to see each other rightly, or indeed to be in vulnerable relationship with each other. Relationships that account for failure and sinfulness, yes, but also for resurrection hope. The Bible, in contrast, does not offer us a reductionistic account of reality or the human experience, because the Bible is a true text, and the experience of living is not one that is black and white. Most of everything is a shade of grey. And in these two verses that are our reading today, Philippians 4, 2 and 3, these 60 words, we see a whole lot of shades of grey. And I think these verses taken in their wider context of the book of Philippians and the Bible as a whole, can help us counter three unhelpful views or reductionistic narratives that we might have bought into. That is, too simple a view of women, too simple a view of leaders, and too simple a view of unity. The first time I heard a talk on Euodia and Syntyche was at a ladies' night of a church I was attending at the time. The speaker explained to us how these women could be more appropriately named odious and stinky, and it was their cat fight that was tearing apart the church with divisive tattletailing. We were then instructed not to gossip. Now, this is probably not a wrong message. Gossip is indeed harmful and hurtful, but I think there are some really big errors in that exegesis of this text. And yet, a quick Google search reveals that this is a common explanation of this section of Philippians although sometimes Syntyche is called sure touchy rather than stinky. But as well as being really not that clever a wordplay, I think it does a huge disservice to both these women and Paul's writing. This is in part because it reflects a reductionistic or black and white view of women. In this view and how it's applied to the Bible, there are two options for women, either perfect and virtuous, and often this is associated with being helpless and docile. Or the alternative, women are completely sinful, often correlated with female agency. And we see this play out in literature and popular culture, this idea that the Bible forces women into two categories, either saintly paradigms of virtue, like Mary, or their conniving temptresses, like Eve and Jezebel. The problem with this, of course, is that it's not true of women generally, it's not true of women in the Bible. It's not even true of those particular characters. Mary is, of course, chosen by God because she has found favor with him and is a woman of great courage and faith. But she also has her own moments of doubt, as recorded in Mark 3, when she and Jesus' brothers try to dissuade Jesus from teaching about the kingdom of God. Women play all kinds of roles and shades of gray in the Bible. They are leaders, theological leaders like Phoebe and Holder, as well as quieter theologians like Hagar and Mary, political leaders like Vashti, the daughters of Zololophed and Deborah, bad political leaders like Jezebel and Herodias. They are women of determination like Ruth, women who are victimized like Tamar and the daughter of Jephthah, women like Abigail and the mother of Lemuel who are lauded for their wisdom. They are celebrated for the way they lead their communities like Miriam, 
There is Shira who builds cities, women of courage like Rahab and Jael. There are complex figures like Sarah and Michal who both act in faithfulness and fear. And the witch of Endor who God uses despite her commitment to spiritual evil. Women are not portrayed in any kind of dichotomous way in the Bible, although there are women whose stories are told because they exhibit characteristics of virtue and faithfulness. And there are women whose stories are told because of the opposite. There is a vast representation of women in the Bible because women are complex and individuals and human, and to be human is to have good moments as well as bad ones. Euodia and Syntyche were real women who lived and breathed in Philippi in the first century. And so the way they are recorded in the Bible portrays them as human because they were. They are both leaders in the church and they are sinful people. When we read them in the light of the wider narrative of the Bible, as well as just in these few verses, we're invited to see them not just as odious and stinky, only bad because they must be good or bad, but as virtuous, capable women who have a problem to be addressed. We see this particularly clearly in verse 3, where Paul commends them as those who have struggled beside him for the cause of the gospel. This appellation is one of great accolade, and these women are being celebrated here for their faithful service of Christ. And the language implies that, they, that this has been difficult and come at great cost to them. And it is important that Paul doesn't diminish their service and leadership in the church while he is also calling them to do and be better. They are leaders in the church. This is why it's so important for them not to be at odds. Their their disagreement impacts more than just the two of them. It has flow-on effects in the community. If you take a second to imagine what it would have been like in the church of Philippi when this letter is first being read out. Everyone has gathered in the house church to hear it. Maybe they're at the home of Lydia, whose story we read about in Acts 16. Gathered to hear the letter read. This is the first time anyone has heard any of these words. The first time that anyone has heard that famous Christ hymn in chapter 2. They're looking at each other with new eyes and renewed faith. So they've taken on Paul's urging to shine like stars in the universe and stand firm in the Lord. And then how awkward to be Euodia or Syntyche uh, called out in front of everyone. But it is because these women are leaders that this calling out can't happen behind closed doors. It is because they are leaders that they need to be held to the same, if not a higher standard, than the rest of the community. Because just like black and white thinking or simple reductionistic narratives can demean women in the church, it can also harm leaders and church communities by thinking about leaders in simplistic terms. That is, to consider leaders in the church to either be perfect or disgraced, or to use the more common parlance, cancelled, is not helpful for anyone. When we idolise or make our church leaders into heroes, we forget that they're human and consequently sinful, which not only puts an impossible burden of perfection onto them, but it also means we don't have a framework to deal with their failures. We have seen in church history and the current global conversation of the church how this has allowed church leaders to get away with abuse as people didn't want to see their failures or couldn't or wouldn't see problematic behaviour 
as it didn't fit into the narrative that they were telling themselves. Mm. But even when leaders are not abusive, perfection is not a helpful burden to place on anyone. And indeed, our leaders are members of our church. And one of the reasons that Paul calls out Euodia and Syntyche in front of everyone is because the congregation is to help these women, just as we have a responsibility to our leaders who are members of our congregation. An alternative problem, but one that is just as insidious, is when people latch on to leadership failure and see this as defining of the human and therefore are unable to recognize or allow the leader to do good or are unable to make space for reconciliation and forgiveness, that grace that we all need. If our narrative, our faith, and our church polity is not assuming that leaders will make mistakes, we're not living in reality. And we know that failure is a part of leadership because the leaders and heroes in the Bible are never just good people. One of the consistent messages of the Bible is that people fail to act in the ways they should. They fail to serve God, and that in power, leaders always fail to consistently live up to the standards that God has given. Think of Peter, that leader of the church who so often acts in failure. He denies Christ three times in one night. Think of Paul, who's honest about his struggles with sin, of Miriam, who doubts Moses, of Abraham and Sarah, who act in faith often, but also in fear sometimes. And to take David, that celebrated king of Israel, even the most generous reading of his story, he is an adulterer and a murderer. Leaders, like all people, battle with sin. They can't be forced into polarizations of good people and bad people because all people are both. And when we try to do this, we hurt ourselves and our church communities and our leaders. The Bible is clear that we should hold our leaders to a higher standard, one of faithfulness. But at the same time, we should never forget that the message of the Bible is that we are sinful. And this is why we need systems of accountability for our churches and our leaders. And more than that, we are all people who need the grace of God. What is amazing, though, is that when we look to Jesus, we do see a black and white situation. We see a leader who is perfect, who even when we look back with 2,000 years of perspective, we still don't find words that are worth cancelling. Human leaders fail, they do all the time, but Jesus does not. And it's because of this that he is worth giving over our allegiance, our hearts and our lives to because he's not going to fail us. And indeed, even though he was perfect, he gave up his very life for us. It's worth going back to the gospels over and over and over again and finding a leader who speaks love and life and justice and does so with perfect harmony and truth. If you're feeling jaded about the leaders in our world, I encourage you to read the gospels again and be amazed by Jesus. To return to Philippians, one thing that's interesting here about Paul's address of Euodia and Syntyche is that he affirms them both individually. Looking back in the text, there in Philippians 4.2, Paul writes, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, he could have written, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind, or I urge Syntyche and Euodia to be of the same mind, but he doesn't. 
he repeats the word urge. And it's repeated in the Greek as well, and in both the English and the Greek, it's kind of an awkward sentence construction. But Paul is doing this for a reason. It's because he's not taking sides in their argument. He doesn't tell Euodia to agree with Syntyche or the other way around. Seems to imply that he doesn't think who was right is really important here. We don't know what this issue is about. Maybe it was the kind of issue where no one is right. But rather, Paul urges both of them to be of the same might. Now, if we had a simple view of what unity meant, we might think that this means Euodia and Syntyche should sit down, be quiet, and just get on. But as a church, we've spent the last 16 weeks working our way through the book of Philippians. That's since before lockdown started. It's a very long time. By now, we have a pretty complex understanding of what it means to be of the same mind in the Lord, to be people who contend side by side with each other. Thinking back to chapter 2, where Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. And then he uses that famous passage about Jesus, that one that says, Jesus Christ was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the very nature of a servant. Paul uses that passage to encourage the Philippians to put one another and their needs before their own, to love one another with the kind of love that Christ has loved us. So when we hear the encouragement to Euodia and Syntyche here, we should hear it through that same lens, that Paul is encouraging these women, these women, not necessarily to agree with one another, but to put one another's needs ahead of their own, to in humility consider the other higher than themselves. And the model that we as Christians have for this kind of love, this kind of relationship, is the Trinity, a God who exists in love since before the beginning of time, but who also exists in love and difference. In our John 17 reading, we heard Jesus pray for us that we might be one as he and the Father are one. The oneness of the Trinity never diminishes the difference of the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. Rather, it affirms difference, even as they are unified. We should look to how we can value difference and learn from others in community and humility. This kind of unity will seek to listen to the person who has a different point of view to us because we are not threatened by their difference. It will value the outside voice and look to learn and respect those who come at life with a different perspective or opinion to those that we have. In John 17, Jesus says that loving each other with this kind of unity will be so unique and so compelling that it will allow the world to believe that Jesus was sent by God. It's similar to the point that Paul makes in Philippians 2, that having the mind of Christ will mean that Christians shine like stars in the dark because this way of living, so radical, so beautiful. Paul situates this desire for unity in verse 3, that Euodia and Syntyche have struggled with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Why is it that this group of Christians can go on working together, presumably when there's been some real hurt between Euodia and Syntyche? The reason that they can is because they have a narrative to live by 
that is bigger than the one our culture tells us about failure. Failure does not define us. Mm -hmm. What defines us as Christians is that our names are written in the Book of Life. The Book of Life is a Jewish image. It comes up in Exodus 32 in the story of the Golden Calf, but also several times in the Book of Revelation, where the people written in it are those who are redeemed by Jesus. To know that we are redeemed is to inherently know that we have failed, that we are sinful, that our sin does, but that our sin does not define us. We are, to use the language of Philippians, citizens of heaven. A citizenship that is undeserved, but indisputably ours. Thus, the Philippians have a bigger story to write their understanding of disagreement into. They are not a community that is focused on scoring points, being the best, or even proving that they were right, but rather a community whose very lifeblood is salvation and grace. This is a model of disagreement that isn't threatened by the other, doesn't have to power play or demand respect, because worth is inherent, love is abounding, and there is a communal recognition of individual and group failure. And yet, the story, the end of the story, is already written, one of complete restoration. And we, as Christian pilgrims, are taking fumbling steps on the journey towards that goal. I once read, and I've looked for a source for this attribution, and I think it might be the Episcopalian author and priest, David Zahr, but he, or someone else, says that we would find it very, very hard to sin if we afforded to others the same complexities, ambiguities, and nuances that we allow for in ourselves. When we see others as good or bad, we diminish their fundamental humanity and otherness as complex creations, people made in the image of God, people with histories, with presence, with futures, people with complex emotions and lived realities. Let us pray and work for expansive narratives, ones that are based in the truth of the gospel and lived out in grace. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.